Okay, guys, we're, we're in Acts chapter 20. And we're coming to the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And we're going to see that uh, he's going to, before he leaves, he's going to strengthen the churches. Now, I think this is very interesting. When you look at the Apostle Paul, he was not just somebody who, and I think there's a big lesson here for us. He was not just somebody who was just interested in people, quote, getting saved and starting churches. He was concerned about that they were stable, that they were able to function on their own in their relationship with Jesus. So he would continually, if you look at all of the missionary journeys after the first missionary journey, even the first one, he would go back to the churches that he started and meet with the believers that he was instrumental in coming to the Lord about to make sure that they were okay. Now that's completely opposite of how we approach evangelism today in North America. We're, we're just interested in you praying a prayer and you getting saved and then we never talk to you again ever. You know, we'll never know if you went on by yourself or if you just kind of fell away or whatever, you know, so we, we don't know anything. We don't focus on discipleship. Paul's focusing on discipleship here. And so he's going to go back through again and strengthen these churches. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, he's going to go through Macedonia and Greece, okay? So I want you to notice with me verses 1 to 6. Now, this is right after the kerfuffle, the riot in Ephesus. Remember the silversmiths? Okay. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. He stayed three months, and when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he departed and returned through Macedonia. And so Pater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, and Aristarchus and Sisendus of Thessalonia, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trumphus of Asia. These men going ahead, waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Uh, folks, sometimes I have a real problem with the Greek names, and uh, bear with me if you don't think I'm if you don't think I'm pronouncing them right. I may ask you to pronounce them for me. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So. Uh, Here's what we're going to see. First of all, Macedonia. So after the riot in Ephesus, Paul bid the church farewell and departed for Macedonia. Okay, so we're not just talking about he hopped in a car and drove away. Really, literally, he had to get into a boat and drive up, I mean, take a, probably a several-day journey up towards Macedonia, okay? After encouraging the churches in Macedonia, he departed for Greece, so he's doing a tour. So in Macedonia, he would have gone to the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Berea. Then what he does then is from there he goes to Greece. Now where would he go in Greece? He would probably go to Athens and then to Corinth. 
okay? Athens and Corinth. Because remember, that's where he's gone before when, he's, when he was on a journey through there. And every time he had people who responded or who were interested, okay? So, so after staying in Greece three months, Paul returned to Macedonia because of the Jews' plot. Now, I think this is interesting. Isn't this interesting to you? should be that every time he's doing something for the Lord, opposition always what? Arises. Here's the thing. Under, recognize this. For your own life, for the life of our church, when you're doing what God wants you to do, when you're moving forward with what God wants you to do, you're always going to have opposition, period. Satan is not going to be happy with you progressing in your own Christian life. He's not going to be happy with the church progressing, and he's always going to raise up opposition. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's always going to bring difficulty to discourage. Okay, so Paul decides to go back through Macedonia again. Now, the writer lists the Macedonian believers who journeyed with Paul to Asia Minor. So Paul, he just isn't going by himself, folks. He's got companions with him. Luke is typically with him, the writer. Timothy is typically with him. We also see here that there are believers from these churches in Macedonia and Greece that are with him, okay? And they're journeying with Paul to Asia Minor. Now, after the Passover, when it says the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's referring to the Jewish Passover. After the Passover, Paul and his companions sailed to Troas, where they stayed seven days. So they, they sailed to Asia Minor, to a place known as Troas, which is in, if you look at, let's say this, if you th see my hand here, let's say that's Turkey, okay? Ephesus is right here. Troas is up here. So they sailed down over to here to Troas, all right? To Troas. Now, look with me, verses 7 through 12. He's going to talk about Troas, his stay in Troas. He's only there seven days, but look at what it says here. Look at verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart, the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. He was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. And now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and, there were, and they were not a little comforted. What an understatement. Okay, let's read what's going on here. First of all, the occasion. The church met together on the first day of the week where they shared communion. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. Why do you think they met on the first day of the week? What's the first day of the week, folks? Well, what, what, it's Sunday, or we would call it the Lord's Day, and you're right, Bruce. It, it's, 
because of the resurrection, because the resurrection took place on Sunday. So the church typically, historically, has always met on the Lord's Day, okay? Now, let's remind ourselves, the Lord's Day is not the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Saturday, okay? Saturday. Although some old-timey Christians, some, some older ones will refer to, to Sunday as the Sabbath. How many of you ever remember Sunday being referred to as the Sabbath? Yes. Technically, it's not the Sabbath, all right? So what we see here is they met on the first day of the week where they shared communion, okay? First day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, okay? And they shared the Lord's table. Now, we share the Lord's table in our church once a quarter, once every three months. They shared the Lord's table, just so you are aware, probably every time they met. Okay? Every time they met as a church, they shared the Lord's table. They broke bread. When the scripture talks about breaking bread, it's talking about the Lord's table, communion. Okay? Now, because Paul was leaving the next day, he spoke to the gathered church until midnight. So basically, he was teaching them until midnight. All right? So because he was leaving the next day, he spoke until midnight. Now, a young man, Eutychus, fell asleep while listening and fell from the third story to his death. So in, there's probably a young guy, and I can see, see this happening. How many of you have ever fallen asleep listening to a preacher? I do that sometimes, Okay? So I'm not surprised when you do it, okay? I, I see you when you do it. Don't worry, okay? So um, be thankful I'm not like some preacher. I remember, get up, wake up, you know what I'm saying? Or slap that guy in the back of the head, you know? Ever been in a church like that? I have, okay? So, okay. Well, anyhow, here's this guy, young guy, Eutychus. He's probably having a hard time staying asleep. So he ends up, he's either the crowd is big that is there, or he decides to go sit in the window. Why? Because there's probably cold air coming in. Okay? So he's falling asleep while Paul is teaching, and he just falls asleep and falls out of the third-story window to his death. Okay? Third-story window to his death. Now, Paul went to the young man and embraced him as he told the church that he was alive. Now, this is a miracle. The guy falls out of a third-story place. He didn't fall into the bushes. It's a city. He fell to the ground, probably dead. Paul goes and embraces him and says, Don't worry, he's okay. He's alive. He's alive. Then he returned to speaking. So, I mean, that's, that would be a shock. I think everybody's awake now, right? Okay. He returned to speaking and ate with them and departed the next morning. So he's okay. He goes on preaching. Okay? Goes on preaching. Now, I think it's interesting. Look at what it says there. He went on preaching and they brought the young man up. He was alive. And then I think it's the most understatement in all of the Bible. Look at what it says there. And here's what it says. Verse 12, and they brought the young man up, and there were no, li and, and, there, and they were not a little comforted. You think they're probably, I mean, they probably knew this guy, <laughs> probably somebody's 
kid, they were not a little curved. That's an understatement, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? An understatement, okay? Now, let's look at verses 13 through 16. We're going to see that Paul goes to Miletus, okay? And we're going to spend some time here because I think this is important even for you and I. Actually, we're going to spend time with the elders from Ephesus. But let's talk about Miletus first. Look at verse 13. Then he went up ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. There attending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders attending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Miletus. Miletine, okay, it's not Miletus, but Miletine. We sailed from there, and the next day we came opposite Chaos. And the following day we arrived in Samos and stayed at Trogelium. Okay, I'm, these Greek names are killing me. Okay. The next day we arrived at Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay? On the day of Pentecost. Okay, so let's take a look here. Paul's companion sailed to Assos as he traveled there by foot. So Paul obviously didn't want to ride on the boat, so his friends went ahead and he traveled by foot. In Assos, Paul joined his companions on their ship and sailed to Mytilene. Okay? After stopping at several ports, they arrived at Miletus. After stopping at several ports, they arrived at Miletus. Paul did not stop by Ephesus because he wanted to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. Okay, so they just, remember we already talked about that with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So he's wanting to get to Jerusalem, get there by, Paso by Pentecost, okay? He's wanting to get there, so he decided not to stop at Ephesus. Why do you think he decided not to stop at Ephesus? Think about what's happened at Ephesus before. Chapter 19, there was a big what? Yeah, a kerfuffle. Yes, a big riot, okay? There was a big riot, and, and probably Paul would have been killed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not a safe place for him. Also, uh, you know, he probably would have been delayed there because of, uh, because of the number of Christians who were there, okay? And because he's the apostle, and they would have wanted to have his teaching. Now, I want you to notice, we're going to look at verses 17 through 38 the rest of our time here and talk about the elders from Ephesus. So it's not like he didn't meet with the church. He just didn't go to Ephesus. So I want you to notice verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I was and what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I came back to nothing, how I, came, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, 
testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. I see now that I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day and am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver, gold, or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided my necessities for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said this, the, when he had said these things, they knelt down and prayed, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then they wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spoken, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Okay, we're going to spend the rest of our time here. There's some very important things here that I just want to point out to you from Paul's message. Okay? So first of all, while in Miletus, Paul sent for the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him. So he's got to send somebody up to Ephesus, gather the leaders, and then they've got to come back. So he's going to be in Miletus for a few days, okay? So when they come, he shares a message with them. And, and what we have recorded here is what he shared with them. So first of all, Paul reflected on the manner of his ministry among them as he preached God's word. And when you look at this, I'm going to be honest with you. If you look at this passage and you look at what he is saying here as far as how he behaved himself and, and how he was towards them, it's going to, I think you need to mark that down in your mind because sometimes you watch guys on TV and I'm shocked at how blatant they are with their lifestyles 
and then they beg you to send them send more money to the Lord, but yet they're driving around in a Bentley, or they got a Rolex on their in their nice designer suit. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So when you look at the Paul's, Paul, what Paul is saying here, he didn't have a Bentley. He didn't have a, first of all, he didn't have that. He didn't have a golden chariot, okay? He, he, he lived in poverty. He took care of himself. So Paul reflected on the manner of his ministry among them as he preached God's word. He proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. So he made it very clear when he was there, he didn't just focus on any one group. He preached the word of God to who? Everyone. To the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Okay, so he, he focused his ministry on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. And I think it's interesting. Notice what he said. I think it's interesting because this is how he defines what his, the gospel is. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why repentance towards God? Because it's God whom you sin against. And so repentance is going and acknowledging and turning from your sin because you realize you are sinning against a great God and faith in the Lord Jesus. Why? You recognize that through faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you, the penalty towards the Father, towards God, is satisfied, and you have salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the message he's proclaiming here. So Paul told them that he was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. One of the things, and I don't know how to do this, but maybe I need to figure out how to do it. One of the things would, that is key for you as a believer in Jesus Christ is to begin to discern when the Spirit speaks to you. And He does speak to you. And He does tell you things. And He will tell you to do certain things and to go talk to people or or something, and you need to learn how to discern that, that it's not a crazy idea. It's like if the Spirit tells you to write a card of encouragement, write that card. Mail it, because you don't know that might show up at the right time for somebody. But you did what God told you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or to go see somebody at the right time. Or to talk to somebody at the right time. Here's what I'm saying. You've got to be sensitive to God when He tells you to do something. Paul very much felt compelled in his spirit that he had to go where? Jerusalem. Now, let's add to the suspense a little bit. While he did not know exactly what will happen, he knew that he would be arrested. He said that in every town he went, he knew that he needed to go to Jerusalem. But in every town that he went as he's with the believers... Probably there was a prophecy that was being given that was saying, Paul, you're going to face per trouble and persecution and tribulations, chains. You're going to be arrested. But he felt compelled to go. Now let's stop for a moment. Let's say you're Paul. Let's say you're Paul. I'm Paul, you're Paul. And you're in a church meeting. Somebody gets up and says, you know, you're saying, I just feel like I need to go do this. And everybody's like, yep, you're supposed to go do that. But Paul, you're going to get arrested and you're going to have problems. What would your first tendency want to be once you hear that? Are you going to Jerusalem? 
No, I think I'm going to go north. Right? It'd be like Jonah. That's right. That's right, Art. Uh, only we don't want to be like Jonah, do we? Okay? So here's, here's the thing. He continued on. He continued on with what he was told, even though he knew he was probably facing arrest. He stated that this did not bother him since he wanted to finish his ministry. He had a different perspective. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. You know, in one of his letters, he would say, for me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. See, he understood. He understood. Paul was free from any responsibility to them since he preached all of God's word. This was his attitude. I have done everything God told me. I've told you. I've not kept anything back from you, he said. I have shared with you everything God wanted me to tell you, and I'm free from the responsibility of that. Do you understand? I'm free from the responsibility of that, he says. Now, the elders are to watch over and pastor God's church, which he brought with his blood. So he's, he's saying what the responsibility of an elder is here. That we have elders in our church. And they have a responsibility to watch over and pastor. That's what an elder is. I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you what an elder is. An elder is not just somebody who makes decisions in the church. An elder serves as a pastor. He shepherds the church. Okay? And we have several elders in our church. And their job is to shepherd the church, to minister to the people in the church, to help them in their Christian life. Okay? And because this church was bought with whose blood? With Jesus' blood. You were bought with Christ's blood, so you're important. So he gives elders to guide you. The elders must be aware that false teachers will arise from within the church. Now here's the other thing. Elders have to be aware that sometimes not everybody is okay in church. Because notice something. It says, look with me, I think it's interesting. Verse 30, also from among yourselves will rise up men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. There are going to be people who will rise up in a church. They could even be raised in the church. There are going to be people who are going to be in church and their whole purpose is, they're going, is to draw people's attention to themselves. It's all about who? Themselves. And they're going to speak things that are perverse. Now when he's talking about perverse things, he's not talking about sexual things here. Although it could be. What he's talking about here is he's ta they're talking about things that are contrary to the gospel. Do you understand? To the gospel. So, but see, that's what an elder does. An elder nips it in the bud when there's the emergence of false teaching. It's, we want to be welcoming to everybody. Do you understand? We want to, but we also have to protect what? The people who attend here, because that would mess people up, wouldn't it? Do you understand what I'm saying? That would mess people up. So elders must be aware that false teachers will arise from within the church. So we've got to test everything, okay? Even test each other. I've told you before. 
Don't accept everything I'm saying to you hook, line, and sinker. You pay attention. You've got questions? Talk to another elder. I'm not sure about George. Is he going off the deep end? Yeah, he is. Okay, we'll take care of it. You know what I'm saying? That, that's something that needs to happen. That should be okay. All right, here, let's go on. The elders must watch and remember the seriousness of the warning. This is a serious thing. Church is serious. Do you understand? Because we're talking about people's lives. We're talking about people who could come and hear about Jesus. We're also talking about you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ right now and recognize there's an enemy who wants to destroy you and he will raise up people to destroy that within a church. Do you understand what I'm saying? He'll raise up people to destroy that in a church. So elders must watch and remember the seriousness of the warning. Paul committed them to God who is able to build them up. Look, folks, you know who's going to build our church? You, when you get better. No. The elders? No. Guess who builds the church? God. Jesus said, upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church, he told Peter. Not upon Peter, but upon this rock, who is referring to himself, Jesus. Jesus will build his church, folks. You need to recognize that. Recognize that. So he committed to them to God who was able to build them up. Paul testified that he had provided for himself and did not take anything from anyone. This was his ministry. He, didn't, he took care of himself. He, he wanted to be sure that he was not going to be accused of doing it for money, for his own selfish gain. Paul showed by example that they must be generous as they support the weak. See, this is the thing, folks. The issue isn't how much you give to the church. The issue is, is are you a giving person and do you give to help others? That's the issue. It's not how much you give to the church. It's whether or not you are a generous person and help other people. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the Spirit of God does not just tell you to give to support the ministry of the church. The Spirit of God may tell you to help other people, and I know that he does. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you need to learn to be responsive to that. Responsive to the Holy Spirit. Paul showed by example that they must be generous as they support the weak. So after praying with them, they wept and embraced Paul. That phrase there that they were, were on his neck, that means that they were hugging him, weeping, okay? They, they really embraced him. They were emotional at his words concerning not seeing them again. They were emotional about that. Now, history tells us that he did see them again. Well, does that contradict what we're saying here? No. He's heading to Jerusalem. Everything as he's going down to Jerusalem is telling him he's going to face chains and persecution. He's ready to die. He thinks he's going to die. So if you think you're going to die, the thing that comes out of your mouth is, I'm not going to see you folks again. Okay? I'm not going to see you folks again. All right, next week we're going to see the journey to Jerusalem. And we're going to enter into a new section of the book of Acts and what happens with Paul 
and he has several different trials. 